Welcome to episode 43 of Curiosityness. And dude, I got to interview the inventor of the waterbed. Charles Hall was awesome to talk to. He's created a whole industry. He created the entire waterbed industry. And it was really cool and awesome to talk to him. So uh, I think you're really going to like this episode. We talk about how it all started, um, you know, him in college and this kind of being his his project and, and thesis and everything like that, which led to his uh, first product, the uh, the pleasure. Here, one sec. What's it called again? The uh, the pleasure pit, which is pretty sweet. And then you know, just how that led into his company, led into like a bunch of knockoffs and patent infringement stuff, and eventual demise of his company. But the rise of the waterbed industry—it's such a cool, crazy story. Uh, you're definitely gonna like this. And then we also get into—he's um, coming back with a new company. His new waterbed is called a float, and um, it's got a bunch of new technology. And, uh, and features for, that he has wanted to implement. So it's pretty cool. We talk about that. And um, just as a heads up, this is not, I'm not sponsored by him or anything like that. I just, uh, I just really appreciate what he's done and, and love his story. So it was really fun to have him on. And I'm glad that uh, Charlie made the time to get on. So uh, that's about it. Without further ado, here is Charlie Hall, the inventor of the waterbed. Hello, Charlie Hall. Welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on. Hi, Travis. Good to see you and hey. or talk to you. Yeah, talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no. This is it's crazy. You're the uh, you're the guy. You're the inventor of the waterbed. Right. Yeah. Hard to believe it's been 50 years since the introduction of that, and um, it's coming around again. So it's kind of exciting to see the new version I came up with. Um, about two years ago in testing and uh, kind of revisit the original product and update a lot of things. Yeah, it, it is very cool. It's, it's, it's awesome. Exciting. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of questions. I'm very, very excited to talk to you. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, let's just get into it. I mean, I just want to start with, you know, how, how this all started. So you were, this started at San Francisco state, right? You were just kind of experimenting with, with furniture and stuff like that. Yes, um, I was in the um, uh, industrial design department, product product design, and um, actually started out, I had five majors before I got into that program, and I had, uh, my BA was in history, and then I went into an ex- exhibit one day, and it was full of industrial design projects from students there, and I said, you know, this is what I really like and what I've done since I was a kid. So I went back to go on a prerequisites and joined that program for uh, getting my master's. Okay, perfect. And then so, I mean, what, what, were, what were the first kind of prototypes and, and things you were experimenting with? Well, it started um, as an exercise in analyzing furniture. And, you know, if you're, if you're into furniture and contemporary furniture, Every designer out there had kind of like the signature chair. If you were a Mies van der Rohe, you would probably say, oh, that would be the Barcelona chair that showed at the World's Fair. And actually, that chair is a a fabulous-looking piece that still looks contemporary today. And I have a couple. That's sort of a um, part part of my own um, collection of furniture that I thought was kind of timeless. And uh, none of these furniture pieces, though, really analyzed – 
they were styling efforts. They didn't analyze human comfort, and they didn't really address what uh, made you comfortable or uncomfortable on a piece of furniture. Some of them were very sculptural, didn't make any sense as far as the way you sat or the pressure points. So I took a different approach and tried to create the most comfortable chair and let the um, shape of it kind of uh, be secondary. So the, the first chair I did was actually this kind of a, a big open shell with a with a, a bladder full of viscous goo in the center of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it was it was cooking starch, the kind of stuff you'd mix in with a cherry pie to give it a thickness. And okay. uh, so this this big blob I made up in my kitchen, and I tried it out. It was actually um, insidiously comfortable, and it would kind of slowly swallow you, and you'd sink down deeper and deeper, and it became really hard to get out of as you got swallowed up by it. Right. And also weighed 300 pounds. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that um, that was the first effort. It uh, showed me about eliminating pressure points, and then I um, decided, gee, I can't afford that much jello. I'm gonna if I or starch. So I um, the second one I made was a bed uh, because I felt that was the biggest piece of furniture. You don't have to you spend the most time in, and you don't have to move it. So that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. And. Right. Uh, the bed evolved shortly after the chair, and I started sleeping in it. I found the first night that you need to control the temperature because it's hideous without having a temperature that kind of matches your skin temperature. Oh, okay. So, well, so was yeah, that... Very subtle subtle part of comfort. You know, sitting on a cold concrete bench is a different experience than a warm bench. Yes. Yeah, very true. So was that first night, was it too cold or too hot? It started out fine, and then, it, then it, by uh, 3 in the morning it was – uh, insidiously cold. So, oh, so anyway, okay. um, I, I learned that lesson real quick and, um, the bed evolved. I started, I, uh, I designed a heating system to keep it up to temperature. Mm-hmm. So, Man. Uh, um, that was the first, the first water bed. And, um, I, I, um, Oh, refined it a lot. It became my master's project, thesis project, and um, the heating system and some of the other elements were, were part of it. So. Right. Wow. And then so that led into your first product, which was the Pleasure Pit? Yes. Um, someone had heard about it. Uh, and they had a – well, they were a curator of a gallery in – the cannery near Garrity Square, mm-hmm. and uh, they were having a show put together uh, in August that was called A Happy Happening with kinetic light and sculpture and all kinds of stuff. And he asked me if I'd make a special version for the show. Oh. And uh, so I did. I did what I called the Pleasure Pit, which was eight feet square, and it was designed to be if you if you had a studio apartment, it would be the only piece of furniture you need. You could lounge in it, you could sleep in it. You could, you know, lay back and listen to stereo or have a cup of coffee. Uh Um, It was a single piece of furniture for everything and very comfortable. So that's what appeared in the Cannery Gallery in 1968. Wow, sweet. Yeah, I live in a studio right now. That sounds great because we barely have room for a couch and a bed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this pleasure pit would handle it all. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, killer. And then so... So that was like the first real product, which kind of then led you to start your own company, correct? 
Yes, because I, I thought, well, I'd been sleeping on it. I knew how comfortable it was. And, and I, I started writing letters to mattress manufacturers to see if uh, anybody would be interested in licensing the idea. I'd applied for a patent and did some early work on, on that uh, protection part of it. But um, none of the mattress people responded. They just didn't get it. It was a little too far uh, fetched for them. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I actually was, um, after graduating, I taught art for a year. And then I moved back to, um, to the Bay Area to, uh, you know, hopefully pursue this idea of getting this bed produced and, and made and see if it could be a success. So um, I had a partner at the time who um, was a photographer by, by trade, and we started a company that made the first waterbeds in Sausalito. Okay. And so what were kind of those first, like the first initial sales like, and how were you kind of first getting your customers and and marketing and stuff? Well, it did. um, It was all word of mouth, actually. Uh, We had, um, we had a a furniture store interested in it. And by, by kind of a quirky deal, it wouldn't fit into their basement showroom and it ended up at the front window in downtown San Francisco. So people saw it and at lunchtime, um, they'd be cavorting around on it. It was all, you know, very, uh, very unusual moving products. It would be sloshing around and people would be laying down on it and people would walk by and see what the hell is that? So, um, we sold a few and then the word got around to different people and, Suddenly, you know, sales started going, and we made we made probably the first thirty out of redwood uh, frames and kind of a Japanese contemporary looking style to it, mm-hmm. and um, delivered them personally to the to the first buyers, and uh, um, it was uh, quite the success. Herb Kane, a columnist at San Francisco Chronicle, would write who was cavorting on the waterbed yesterday or whatever in the front window of this furniture store. Uh-huh. So. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. And, uh, some early people like, uh, one of the Jefferson airplane people bought one and I think it got delivered to their, to their house on, uh, the panhandle in, uh, Golden Gate park. Oh. And one of the, one of the Smothers brothers bought, bought one, uh, <laughs> in Mill Valley. So, Man. yeah. Awesome. So it just was this kind of this, you know, it started just kind of going viral and you had yeah, some almost yeah. celebrity endorsements and, and stuff like that. So that's very cool. It just kind of naturally snowballed. It did. People would tell each, their friends about it and it would be the biggest curiosity. Like, Hey, you know, come on in and let me show you what I got. So right. <laughs> anyway. And then, I mean it, so it, you know, eventually like Hugh Hefner bought a couple, right. And, and it kind of, you know, gained this reputation for like, you know, a sex icon type of thing, but that wasn't really your, your intention, right? That was just kind of like, that was other people grasping onto that. I, I think the, um, the, um, lure of sensuality existed from day one with the product. And, you know, I, I think I tried to downplay it a bit and, and talk about the sleep aspect, but you can't deny the fact that it was a very sexy thing. And even, um, that carried forward a long time, um, just because they saw a wiggle and move and it was kind of a unknown item. <laughs> I got to try that out. So, right. Exactly. And it was just but, kind of like a, a product of the time too, wasn't it? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. In that era it certainly was. It was a it was a very different uh, atmosphere in the late '60s, early '70s. Yeah. Uh, but you know, strangely enough, my my daughter was in high school. This is like 2001, and she brought home. So said somebody somebody mentioned that you're in Maxim magazine, Dad, and um, they did a series about the history of sex, a big timeline, and the waterbed shows up in the history of sex. So I guess you can't deny uh, the central aspect of it. You can't deny it. No, if it was unintentional, but it's it's here to stay, I guess. Right. And, you know, I have a theory, too, that's uh, partly because I live in Washington, a lot of seafood on my menu, but the salmon theory is half the millennials were out there spawned on a waterbed, and they're going to want us you know, swim upstream to see their spawning ground and maybe buy another one <laughs> with some sort of uh, innate memory that they have. Who knows? <laughs> we have this strange attraction to it. We don't know why, but it's, it's like that's returning right. home. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, that's good. Um, so, I mean, what were, what were, what are some of the benefits of, you know, the sleeping on a waterbed that you were, that you were touting? Oh, you know, um, sleep is a really interesting phenomenon, why people sleep better or worse. And there's some very key points. First of all, waterbeds changed everything. As I found out, some mattress guy from one of the big S's, uh, Sealy Simmons, Serta, mm-hmm. I was at a trade show and he said, you know, Charlie, waterbeds changed the bedding industry. And it's like, well, I hadn't really quite realized what he was getting to, except he said, you know, it used to be coil springs, coil springs, firmer is better, firmer is better, all that stuff. And suddenly waterbeds show up in a showroom and they were conspicuously more comfortable than all the, all the beds out there, not only being unusual, but they were just felt better. Mm-hmm. And the temperature aspect was a important thing. People lie down on a, on a bed that was warm rather than cold, if you're in a, especially if you're in a cold climate or a cold room. Yeah. And find that you instantly relax and your muscles expanded, and you, you really can't fall asleep in a cold bed until you warm up your little spot. Um, so, what what happened after that is conventional bedding changed uh, and had to kind of do a lot of catch up with pillow tops and me- the advent of memory foam and a bunch of other things that were more compliant. And getting good sleep is about some very simple things. Um, Reducing the pressure points so that if you sleep on your side or your back, um, the pressure is less on your tailbone or your shoulders or your hips. Because if if the pressure is high there, the capillaries inside um, close, the, the blood circulation uh, s- slows down there, and your nervous system says, I got to roll over and refresh this part of my body. Mm, so... Okay. Um, on a waterbed, interestingly enough, you'll fall asleep, and if you're on your side, I sleep on my side mostly, I'll fall asleep and I'll stay in that position until the sleep cycle goes through um, the normal up and down where you're going to beta and REM and sort of thing. And you wake up and you're in the same position, then uh, roll over and uh, the sleep cycle starts again. Uh, but there's very little tossing and turning with a waterbed. Uh, people find it um, much more comfortable and you fall asleep faster because the temperature is right and your muscles relax when you get in it. 
Oh, wow. Man, I, yeah, I've never, I'm, honestly, I don't think I've ever even sat on a waterbed. So that's e- extremely oh, intriguing. Okay. I really, I really want to try one because I, I was born in 93. So I've, I kind of missed the, the hump of yeah. it, I think. So I, I, and I've never gotten a chance, but you know, talking to you and reading about this stuff, it's, it's super interesting. I definitely want to give it a try. Yeah. And I think also there, you know, waterbeds had a peak maybe in the mid eighties, um, and then they kind of tapered off, but they were doing two billion a year in retail sales, waterbeds and waterbed furniture, and uh, represented twenty percent of the bedding business. But yes. some of the uh, decline of waterbeds was associated with, um, you know, some bad products got introduced where they really didn't function like a waterbed should. Mm. Some of the tube beds or other goofy things that came. Uh, that were not really good. They weren't good conventional beds. They were kind of hybrids in, in a way, and they weren't good water beds either. So when I kind of revisited the project, I said, you know, I want to make everything that was great about a water bed even better and eliminate any of the negatives. So that's what the new one's all about, called a float. Is actually the name of that new product that's just now introducing in South Florida and will probably go national the next couple, couple, three months. Sweet. Yeah, that I'm, I'm excited. That it looks pretty sweet. I really want to talk about that. But um, real quick, I want to just hop back to like the. Um, so it's kind of like the '60s and early '70s, and, and waterbeds are gaining popularity and stuff. And and you have your company, but there's also this kind of you know spawn of other companies that are are making waterbeds too. Correct. Yes. Um, it became a giant industry and. Even though I had a patent, everybody in the world was trying to knock off the idea. And there was very little discrimination about good and bad. If it had water in it, it was called a waterbed, Mm. even if it really wasn't what I originally designed or intended. And the original waterbed, it required a containing frame, uh, a means for heating it, and... um, a safety liner, so if there was any ever an incident with it, it wouldn't, you know, wet your floor. Uh, these things were part of the elements in my patent originally. And, you know, a lot of the copies didn't really have all that stuff, like a, a bag of water on the floor that some guy bought on a college campus for 30 bucks would be called a waterbed. And it was, yeah. you know, basically a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. So. And that must just be like... That must have just been incredibly frustrating for you to see that. And, you know, you kind of spawned this whole industry and started it, but then to see all these kind of cheap knockoffs only kind of giving your product a bad reputation. They did. Yeah, that was a, a big part of it is waterbeds got a bad reputation from some lousy products out there. But, you know, people didn't know the difference on uh, good, better, good and bad waterbeds basically early on. Uh, they didn't know what to look for. Yeah, man. Crazy. And then, yeah, one out of five mattresses that were sold was a waterbed in the early 90s. That's that's just incredible. Yeah, in the 80s, more than um, 90s. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, it was a big, big portion. And, you know, the uh, memory foam it, it became, um, you know, a challenging thing for waterbeds and for inner springs, too. Uh, memory foam was, you know, provided some of the benefits of a waterbed, but not all of them. And it was certainly a leap above the old firmer is better coil springs. Mm, I see. Um, 
so eventually your your original company did eventually go bankrupt, correct? Right. We were uh, selling a very upscale product in um, in a market that wasn't ready for it in very expensive locations, uh, like major shopping centers had. We had stores in throughout California. I think it was 32 stores at the peak from San Diego to Sacramento. But, um, you know, at that era, people were selling the bag of water in a head shop somewhere for, you know, half, or no, not even, just, you know, 50 bucks, 30 bucks. <laughs> oh, so yeah. hard to, you know, differentiate. You want a real water better? You want a kind of a joke? Yeah. Um, so that yeah. was part of the problem. And we spent a lot of money on advertising, lifting the whole industry. Um, but that didn't come back necessarily to us. So right. difficult time. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't imagine. Just the word that I just feel so frustrated just hearing this this story. You know, it's just it's rough. But uh, I mean, you did, you know, after that, you waterbeds kept going on and, and stuff and you had your patent. And, you know, I think you had some kind of infringement lawsuits and stuff you were dealing with. But you also did some other stuff, too, in that time. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Quite a quite a lot um, to to just to touch on the patent aspect. It took a long time to um, bring it to finally to trial to test the patent. And um, they're the largest importer of waterbeds um, uh, from Asia was actually they sued me for declaratory relief, which was an action that said, show us your patents valid. And it went to Ninth District Court in San Francisco. Um, I won, and they got a judgment against them for four million plus uh, interest and other things. It came to about six million. Oh, nice. um, but uh, yeah, if you want to spend 15, 20 years dealing with it and two million dollars in legal costs, that's mm -hmm. what sometimes it takes to do it. Man, yeah, that is so rough. That's it's yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you had. Uh, what were some because you have like 40 patents now too right yes um, patents uh, I started another company um, in the mid 70s called basic designs which made camping and outdoor gear and um, a actually an inflatable mattress for to try to emulate a little bit of waterbed comfort for someone who's a backpacker and um, that was a that was an interesting company I, I ran that for quite a while and ultimately sold it to division of K2. Um, and then with my partner, um, uh, we started another business. Um, my business partner that, uh, with, with me now is the, um, we created inflatable kayaks through, um, advanced elements and sell maybe, Oh, I guess there's maybe a dozen, two dozen models. Oh my gosh. Yeah. REI West Marine, those guys sell our stuff. Whoa. But uh, it's a inflatable kayak you can put in the back of your car, and you don't need a giant roof rack or anything else, and you can set it up in 10 minutes, and you're on the water. And they yeah. paddle like real boats, too. They're not toys. Yeah. Dude, Charlie, you're awesome, man. Yeah. You do so much crazy stuff. That's yeah. awesome. You just never stop. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying um, the kayak business. has been lots of fun. It's, you know, it's a fun industry. And the camping stuff was a fun industry, so I never felt like I was working. I was always having fun. Yeah, so. that, sounds, that sounds great. And then were you uh, were you involved with the solar shower too? Yes, early on. Um, that was, you know, we're just thinking of um, 
ways to um, to make people's lives a little better when they went camping. And one of the complaints would be, hey, here I am climbing into my my great down sleeping bag and I'm filthy. And especially ladies didn't like to camp because they couldn't get clean and sun shower fixed that. And finally people said, well, I can take my wife with me. She'll, she'll go now that I have a sun shower. So <laughs> sun shower, a very successful product, still sells in big numbers. Yeah, those are everywhere. Yeah. yeah. The story runs deep, Charlie. That's awesome. You're fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's talk about a float now. Like what – what is this new waterbed? What are the new the new features and you know everything like that? Ah, uh, okay. Well, here's here is the kind of the the thumbnail version of the redesign is waterbeds originally that had wooden frames on it were more difficult to get in and out of. So take that off the list, make it easy to get in and out of. And this has a foam perimeter that it conventionally it looks like a regular bed. Mm-hmm. So when you sit down on the edge, the foam kind of um, uh, is, is containing the water, but it's not abrupt to climb in and out of. And the waves never really uh, added anything to the experience. So making it really waveless and motionless was one of the other design criteria. So this has a very different wave suppression system inside. And someone sits down on it. And if there's somebody else in the bed, they just about don't move an instant. I mean, it's just totally still the way the waves do not move across the bed. Um, And this version also has a um, insulation factor so that the heater, which you can actually order uh, a single single mattress like in a king where it's all one volume of water, or you can order a right and left side with individual heating so you can have one side cooler than the other. Oh, if, sweet. If two sleepers don't like, agree on the temperature, you can have your own temperature. And you know, I can't emphasize the importance of the temperature thing enough because um, a water, I mean, sleeping is a very important um, factor about sleep is, is what your body temperature is. And you want to have uh, kind of a subtle but neutral warmth um, so that it's not too hot, not too cold uh, makes a big difference. And I find you can change your sleeping patterns a bit. You know, I dream differently when I'm on a cold surface versus a warm surface. I think I have more pleasant dreams on warmer, slightly warmer surfaces. Huh. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Makes sense though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So what is the, um, what is the like bed frame on these new ones look like? Um, uh, it, well, the bed visually, it looks like a conventional mattress on the outside. Uh-huh. However, it has a, um, stretch ticking, which is, wasn't available originally when I did the first ones. So it's covered in a material that, that gives, so you lay down on it and it stretches so that you're actually being well supported by the water, not by some membrane of fabric over the top of it. That's another important feature of the new water bed. Oh, okay. um, and the um, the cut of the mattress inside is considerably different than early ones that you it's extra generous in sizing so that you're allowing the water to support you not a skin tension on the vinyl okay. um, so uh, amazingly enough the um, early um, people who bought a float 
It was a 100-night free, free trial, and not one ever came back. <laughs> um, uh, it's just uh, incredible customer satisfaction with it. And that's, uh, that was in South Florida where the original pilot program started. Um, anyway. Sweet. So, yeah. So what are some of the, um, you know, I guess benefits over, you know, from a, for a float over like a typical, you know, maybe like a, a Tempur-Pedic or something like that? Oh, significant. And here's, here's the problem with memory foam mattresses. And there's two significant ones. Um, Memory foam mattresses have a reputation of being having a heat bounce back, like feeling really hot after after you're in them half the half the night. They get hot because it's very dense material and it's very huge insulator. Mm-hmm. So you, a lot of these companies that are making a memory foam will go through this whole big story about how how they tell you that we fixed the problem with. And I, I think the wildest one was the ground industrial diamonds in in some somebody's mattress called Black. <laughs> And that this is supposed to pull the body heat away from you? Well, I don't think so. Right. That's a great story, but it doesn't quite work that way. Um, and the other ones have air channels and all kinds of ways that you're supposed to be cooled by it because the memory foam is hot. The other thing, even um, if you uh, listen to uh, there's a podcast that uh, was about disruptors, and the guy who came up with memory foam for NASA said, yeah, problem is you got to – you got You need a new one every five years. They get a, a swale or a dent in them, and they don't come back. And they do compress and get. Uh, they don't age really well. Mm-hmm. Water beds will be the same support now as it is in 20 years from now. And I've got 20-year-old mattresses in a, my place, my other, my other place in California, uh, and they feel the same. Water doesn't change. It's always water. Yeah. It doesn't compact. <laughs> so. Sweet. And then I, I saw something about, you know, kind of like just the accumulation of like sweat and skin and dust and oh. all the stuff that traditional mattresses have too, right? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because um, that's significant. Um, what what conventional mattresses, the, the dirty little secret is um, you, your body loses um, dead skin um, and they call it, the polite word is body ash or whatever. But basically, this is a, a buffet for um, dust mites and bed bugs and everything else feed on this. And this filters into a mattress, into the pores of a mattress. And often mattresses that are 10 years old, they weigh a whole lot more than they did when they were new because all this stuff that's sifted down into the center of it. Well, waterbed, the, a new afloat mattress, you can unzip the ticking, throw it in the washing machine, and then it's good as new uh, and totally clean, and you just wipe off the vinyl, and there's no place for dust mites to hide, and there's no feeding factory in there of all the little bits and pieces of skin. You just, um, if you if you're sensitive to allergies and other stuff, you throw the the top in the, in the washing machine, and you give the mattress a quick wipe with a damp towel, and you're done. You got a new bed. Sweet. Um, without the allergy problems and the dust issues and stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. We've had a bad experience with bed bugs, so that's like oh. kind of always a fear of ours. So that's awesome to hear that this yeah <laughs> you can kind of manage well, it with this. No place to hide for yeah. bed bugs. Ah, oh, that's awesome, man. Okay, so what's the where's the the progress now? Like, how when can we get one? Can we try one out? How's it how's it going? 
Well, what's under development right now is um, a more compact, shippable version that will have a, kind of a space saver frame that al allows it to, to ship without a box springs. And this is a, a steel uh, frame that uh, raises the bed to conventional height about 20, 24 inches. Mm -hmm. And it will ship in a smaller box. Um, it, it does not, uh, you know, it requires some setup on it but not a big deal at all. And so it, it's going to be, um, I don't know if it's quite UPSable, but it'll be very easy freight on it. Okay. You don't want to ship box springs all over the country. They're too bulky. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, so this is kind of an update on the support part of it. And that, that makes it more of a, uh, online product. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's the big thing with is like online mattress shipping and everything yeah. right now, huh? Right. Right. Um, and the, also the, you know, there's a lot of little subtle improvements that like the waterbed, the afloat waterbed has a complete care kit, everything that you, um, you know, used to buy in bits and pieces and you never quite remember to get is all included in one box that's attached underneath the bed in a permanent location. And it's got the fill and drain accessories. It's got the chemicals that you add in it to, to uh, prevent any, um, bacterial growth. In the, in the water, when you do that maybe once a year, you little add a biocide in it. And it's got the, uh, all the stuff you need to, to, to set up the bed and to drain the bed if you want to move it, including a carry sling for the mattress if you drain the mattress and want to move to a new place. Oh, nice. So, Handy. so it's, all, it's, it's, well, it's well thought out. All the things that you need are, are happening in that kit, and um, it just makes the whole experience a lot better. Awesome. Cool. I'm stoked to try it. Um, so it's hallflotation.com is where we can check out some more about that, right? Hallflotation.com or tryafloat.com also. Afloat. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that'll all bring you to the same place. And the website is in process of being um, redone from the very early primitive one. It'll probably be, the new one will be up in a couple of weeks. Okay. So. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'll have links for people to check all that stuff out and, and get on it and try it out. But, uh, man, thank you. I appreciate you uh, being on, Charlie. It's, it's fun talking to you. you. You have such a cool, inspiring story. So, so thank you for sharing. Oh, yeah. Great. It was great to talk to you. Thanks. <laughs> oh, boy. What an episode. Thanks for sticking around and listening to it. This is Travis again uh, here on my own. But as a thank you for sticking around, I wanted to give you a free sticker, a free Curiosityness sticker, 100% free, don't have to pay for shipping, you don't have to enter your credit card info, it's really free. Uh, to get one, go to curiositynesscom slash free sticker, and it's yours, I'll send it to you right away, and, and you can slap that baby wherever you want to represent Curiositiness. So uh, thanks for listening, appreciate it, just wanted to give you guys a little gift, um, so just go ahead and claim that at curiositynesscom slash free sticker. And uh, visit our website too, curiositynesscom I have an Instagram, podcast. I'm on Instagram, too, as Trav DeRose, me, Travis, the host. You can follow me if you want. Uh, we're on Twitter, Curiositiness TV is our uh, handle there. We're on Facebook as Curiositiness. 
All the links to this stuff are in the show notes. You can just click on it and follow us if you want to, because I post some cool little clips and, and extra stuff that you don't get from the uh, podcast onto social media. So you can join in on that and comment and, and talk about me and the show or whatever you want to do. Uh, we're on YouTube, too, as Curiosityness. And I have an email address, Travis at Curiosityness.com. Send me an email. Send me your thoughts on the show, suggestions for new guests, tips on things to make the show better and and help me with my interviewing and and get better and everything like that. So uh, constructive feedback is always nice. So send me an email and uh, also reviews super help. Uh, Really appreciate reviews on the show in uh, Stitcher or iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, Just drop a review. That's extremely helpful. You don't even have to make it five stars. You can you can lower it. I would prefer a higher one, but whatever, whatever you want to do. I won't coax you into something, Uh, but any sort of review helps. I really honestly do appreciate it. So um, yeah, thank you again, guys, for sticking around and listening to this end blabber with me, but uh, have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye.